This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England supporters podcast. Thank you for tuning into the recent episode where we caught up with CJ Joyner about the good causes Block 109 have helped out with recently. And we also dissected the World Cup draw with Aidan Smith from threelions.net. That's still available at your podcast provider of choice. Now, coming up on this episode, an exciting one, I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, We'll speak with the guys behind Full Colour 66, a project to colourise the 1966 World Cup final. And we'll also be speaking with an American England fan. But first, since the last episode where we spoke about that draw... The match dates have since been announced. Now, fair play if you've already booked up. Personally, I've not got it in me yet to go waiting on potential refunds or going without tickets. So I think I'm going to wait and see how things pan out. But I have seen some of the deals going and there are some good ones if you're prepared to take the risks and get in quick. Now, those dates, though, if you want them in your diary... At Thursday the 25th of March we are home to San Marino, Sunday 28th of March away to Albania, Wednesday 31st of March home to Poland, remember these are all in, um, where are they, March, September, October, November. Uh, September is Thursday 2nd of September away to Hungary, the 5th of September is a Sunday home to Andorra and then the Wednesday the 8th of September away to Poland. We move into October, Sunday the 9th, away to Andorra, Tuesday the 12th, October, home to Hungary, and then the last two match days are in November. We are home to Albania on Friday the 12th of November, and away to San Marino Monday the 15th of November. Bit of a frustration that there are no away double headers, or some were going to return from Hungary to see the Andorra game before heading out to Poland. But it is what it is. Now, on that note, some, as I say, will have booked up flights, hotels, etc. Perhaps you're considering it. Now, if you are, there is a great guide that an England fan has put together detailing cheap flights, hotels and various points of interest for all our destinations in these qualifiers. And you can find it at On Our Way England blogspot.com uh, you can find them on twitter at on our way ing on our way ing eng uh, that is well worth a look and fair play uh, for putting all that together can't have been too easy job well done now let's find out more about that colorization of the 1966 world cup final
Now, you may have seen recently details of the project that is looking at colourising the footage of England's 1966 World Cup final win. And I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by Neil Clark and Amory Swartz, who are behind the project Full Colour 66. Gentlemen, hello. Hello. Good afternoon. Welcome along to the, the Three Lions podcast. I hope you're well. This project, Full Colour 66, when I first saw this, I thought, I've seen this in colour, haven't I? But but reading up on it, I think perhaps I've only seen very small snippets. Yes, well, that's that's right, uh, Russell. The the original game was shot in black and white, um, and that was broadcast out to the British public and the world in 1966 on July the 30th on ITV and BBC at the same time. They both had separate commentators, which is which is interesting. So there's two different takes on the game. In fact, amazingly, if you Google highest ever television audience in UK history, you still come up with the 1966 World Cup final. So Is that right? Yeah, 32.3 million people were watching the game. Uh, it is still over and above the highest, uh, over everything else, the, the marriage of, of Charles and Diana and so on, and all these other amazing things that happened on the telly. This is still the, the, the highest ever record audience. And whilst that was being broadcast in black and white and shot in black and white by those broadcasters, it was also being filmed by um, a Chilean uh, producer um, who got the rights from FIFA to, um, to, to, to film the World Cup tournament in England on 35 millimeter color film, which is the best quality that you can get. And he then used that footage to create a film called Goal! Exclamation mark. Uh, which was a feature film distributed by Columbia back in 66 and 67, which actually did very well. And the colour bits that you've seen of the final are bits from that film. Um, And sadly, what has happened, as far as we can tell, is that all of the rest of the footage, so the bits that he didn't include in the the tournament film, were discarded on the cutting room floor uh, and thrown away, which is, you know, today seems like a massive... the disastrous thing to do absolutely um, but that we think is what happened so so yes it's snippets from the original tournament film which is around and, and you can still see the film which is a, it's a fantastic 1960s uh, michael caney style film with wonderful sort of graphics and music and people in slick tight uh, suits and short haircuts but even even uh, neil if, even if the color had been retained or saved in some way it was quite an arty rendition um, the, some of the footage that that remains is, you know, it, it's close up on heads and and feet and and that sort of thing. And it w- wouldn't have been your typical camera one broadcast from the top of Wembley down like you'd see on telly. So even if we had the full color, I think it would look a lot different than what you would see today in 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 in, in any kind of uh, sporting televised sporting event. I see. So the project to colorize the game how, how did this come about how how did you two think well i know what we're going to do we're going to colorize it amory why don't you explain the background what well, was channel four really channel four were really pleased with the broadcast you know we decided as kind of the scavengers we are the you know just it was it was like this great hunt for the footage we thought well if this exists the whole thing must exist somewhere and wouldn't it be great if we could find it and put it together? So we didn't think we were colorizing this. We were we were we were on the hunt to find it first. Yeah. And our hunt took us literally all over the world, from South Africa to places in, in the UK, um, 
to British Pafé, to, to, to Movie Tone, which was then brought, uh, bought by the Associated Press. We even, you know, had a go at the German FA and, you know, to try to find out where this might exist. And we finally found this amazing guy who's living in South Africa, who's English, and was one of the main cameramen and directors of a chap called Ross Devonish. Somehow we found his agent. He put us in touch with Ross and Ross gave us an amazing story about a, the making of the film. And this is where a lot of the knowledge comes from uh, because he was, he was firsthand, you know, among the 30 cameramen that were at these matches. And if you watch the film, it's only, you know, the last 20 minutes or so are about the, about the final, but the rest of it is about other things going on during that tournament. And there were some really interesting bits. And of course, uh, there was a big chunk about Eusebio and, and his sort of beautiful football. This Chilean director, uh, had been so impressed by a film that had been released a few years prior called the Tokyo Olympiad, which is really the first time anybody put on on beautiful color film a sporting event of that kind of magnitude. And that film was released as a as a feature film in, in cinemas. And the director, um, the Chilean director who directed the, the World Cup match was so impressed with that film, he wanted to sort of do something similar for the World Cup. Right. And so when we, we went looking around and we finally got to, to Ross in South Africa, he started detailing some of the some of the sort of trials and tribulations of getting the, you know, of actually filming this. Nowadays, you know, digital, unlimited memory. They had trucks and and all these magazines of film, which was quite expensive at the time. But um, and they were he was telling us stories about trucks and and all sorts of different things they needed to do to sort of just move the film around. And just, it was it really kind of amazing that, yeah. that, uh, you know, the, the differences in technology back then. So I guess they didn't, I didn't, I guess they didn't really feel a need color TV. I, I don't know when it came in the UK. Yeah. It must've um, been late, yeah. late sixties, I guess here in, in England. Yes. Late sixties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one other funny thing in, in back, back in the day, uh, the BBC and ITV, when they wanted to record something for their archive, they literally put a camera film in front of a TV monitor and then filmed the TV monitor and kept the kept the tape or the film as the archive. Okay. <laughs> this is all stuff we learned in the last few months. Uh, I'm sure you've learned a, a hell of a lot on this this journey. I mean, when did you when did you start? Well, we um, the the original project project that we did back in in uh, May, um, which was Final Replay '66. That that sort of we came up with that idea in early May, and then it was made in a very sort of quick two or three weeks in lockdown. And in fact, that was quite interesting in itself because normally it, it was quite a complicated structure because we had the charity involved, and it was in a way I think we sort of helped create this idea of a charity watch along. So you you have a charity partner. And people watch the game with a new production angle to it. So we had Gabby um, presenting it and a number of other uh, top people involved. And people were able to donate to the charity on the telephone line or also online. And Channel 4 had never done a telephone and a donations online service at the same time. And it was something that was quite complicated to set up. And, and normally it would have taken many months to kind of get legal and approved and complied and regulated and but uh, one of the one of the silver linings of lockdown was that because everybody was locked down at home and wasn't in meetings or traveling or on holiday or ill, hopefully not ill, yeah. it meant that we could we could sort of say, well, 
we'll, we'll speak to you later on or let's have a meeting at seven o'clock tomorrow morning. So actually we were able to get decision makers and people to turn up to some of these Zoom meetings, which Henry described, which allowed us to kind of fast track the whole process. And so it was done very quickly. So yes, that was the first project was May and we did it very rapidly. And then we started looking for the footage pretty much after that show went out. And, and we spoke to a lot of different people, as, as Henry said, we, I spoke to a, an old uh, friend of mine, Greg Dyke, who, who I used to work with. I used to be at London Weekend Television, and he was a colleague there. But he he was quite he's quite knowledgeable about the footage because he was at the FA, was chairman of the FA for a while. And while he was there, I think it was the 50th anniversary of the game, or the 45th, perhaps. And he was keen to make some some programs around that and to do further investigation. And also when he was at TVS back in the 80s, they made a program called The Boys of 66, which was quite a wistful, charming program about sort of tracking where the where the where the footballers had got to in their careers and right. what they were all doing. And yeah. so he he had some interesting information about an intel about where the footage was and where he thought it was. And so that was quite useful on our hunt. And then I guess it was had a probably, good say that, didn't he? Yeah. I guess it was about yeah. a month or so ago that we thought probably more like six weeks ago that we thought so middle of October that we we needed to find the colorist uh, and restorers. Um, so we, we sort of hunted around through various contacts and we spoke to uh, an outfit out in New Zealand who do restoration. That's called Park Road Productions, uh, which is part of uh, Sir Peter Jackson's group of companies. Uh, he was the director who did They Shall Not Grow Old, which is the World War I film, which is an amazing film if you haven't seen it of about 45 minutes of restored footage 100 year old black and white footage including a completely new soundtrack that had no sound on it at all and they are experts in restoring and, and doing sound on old movies and then we spoke to a number of colorization companies the, the company that we're working with is called west wing they're based in in india and in los angeles um, and uh, they will be doing the colorization work so there's a kind of the actual sequence is that you do, you take the original black and white footage, yeah, as raw as you can get it, which which we've got, and then you restore it. There's a process of trying to restore it and make it as 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 rich black and white as you can, with as much contrast within that as you can get. Then it goes through a colorization process where the colorists um, do what's called a color design. Um, so they put the color in and. We will be involved in looking at the red of the shirts and the green of the pitch and the yellow yeah. of the Queen's dress and the grey of the Wembley. All the stadiums. vitally important things that will bring it to life. Exactly. So signing all that off and then it gets animated um, in, in Goa in 10-minute chunks. So there's going to be 30, it's 133 minutes long and there'll be 13 chunks of 10 minutes. Then it goes back to a process of what's called colour color grading um, to make sure that the colour, because you're doing it in in lumps and over quite a long period of time, you've got to make sure that the red doesn't gradually sort of fade to pink or okay. go purple. So there's a there's a process of trying to make sure the colour remains vibrant and, and equal all the way through. And then there's also a, a sound mix to be done to make sure the sound is at the right levels and to bring up and down certain elements of the crowd and the whistle and the ball. And we're, we're hoping if we've got enough money from the fund raise to spend quite a bit on the sound because you can do some very clever things with sound and, and enhance the whole experience of the game um, significantly. We're quite lucky to have some of the color footage because that will inform 
the colorists on the exact color of the, you know, the red jerseys and, and the grass on the day and the ball. And, you know, if we were just left with black and whites, we'd kind of be guessing. And in fact, in the World War One production that Peter Jackson did, they literally taped every set. They had rifles and they had everything in their offices except the tank, which they couldn't get in there because <laughs> they wanted to make as close a facsimile as possible to what might have been there. So even colors of uniforms and shoes and boots and meal tins and all that sort of thing was brought into their offices so that they could literally lo- look at like for like to see yeah. Had they done a, a really good job to get to get it as perfect as perfect can be? Well, as I say, I mentioned the cost. It's it's clearly it's a worldwide project. There's a lot of people getting involved in it, and it is going to be a a costly project, which is why you've you've put it out in a crowdfunding fashion. And I'm going to say now I've contributed to that. Um, I'd like to hope that that many other people will do. So, do you want to maybe explain just the the crowdfunding side of things? Yes, of course. We thought that it would be good to do it as a crowdfund because we thought that as we got more into this project, we thought this is really exciting and interesting. And have we uh, excite and, and um, interest uh, enough fans and, and the public and my mum, who's not particularly a football fan, to chip in? And we did some maths and thought, well, the Channel 4 broadcast that we did back in the summer was peaked at a million people and actually reached three million. So we thought, crumbs, you know, if you... If three million people were watching the channel for black and white back in June, there must be a decent chance of getting a, a small proportion of, of those interested in chipping in, provided it's accessible. So we actually did some investigations. We talked to CJ Joyner, who I think you know, yeah, and um, and a couple of his colleagues about what sort of pricing structure might be appropriate. And they actually came up with the idea of, of the 19 and the 66 pounds price structure. And then we also put in seven being July. So we sort of said July 1966, seven, uh, 1966. So for £7, you get a, a stream uh, of the match back uh, in, in, in July uh, over, I think, a 14-day period. For £19, you get a DVD, which is a sort of limited edition DVD that we, we would produce. Uh, and then for £66, uh, it would then come with Jekyll's signature and, and, and a numbered uh, limited edition on it. And then on top of that, we came up with the idea of a sort of gala VIP private screening um, of the game. The actual match anniversary is on the Friday the 30th. So we've, at the moment, we've penciled in the 29th, which is the night, the sort of day before. The idea is to take a cinema in London. We've got a couple in mind and to invite about four to 500 people to come to that, of which 400 would be prize winners from the crowdfund so mm. anybody that chips in the more you chip in you you get you get one entry for every pound you put in so right. if you put in 66 quid you have 66 entries and we've got 200 of these golden tickets to, to be one and the golden ticket gives you a so two of you can come and we've we've sort of debated really the format of that one of the problems we had earlier on a few months ago i mean now it's looking a little bit clearer but a few months ago when we were plotting this we talking to the cinemas of course that was shut and they were saying well if covid is still around yes we've got a 500 seater cinema but we can only seat 163 people uh, who are yeah. certain sizes so so we were thinking we have to do three showings and can we book the cinema to start at 10 in the morning and it's a two-hour break so it got quite complicated but so we, we we're thinking at the moment ideally it's just going to be one showing of the, the world premiere of the film 
but it's it's possible that if COVID is still around, that we have to do two showings. Mm. And Jeff, uh, one thing is, the, you know, the, the, the crowdfund can be found on at www.crowdfunder.co.uk stroke full color 66. So if your listeners could go there, you can read all about it and, and it details, you know, the process of the colorization and what we're doing. So absolutely. We'll, we'll link to that. Yes. And we've, we've got Jeff uh, very kindly agreed to come. So he's signing the, the DVDs that, that people would like signed. And, and uh, he, he's also agreed to attend the, uh, the, the, the private screening and to take questions at half time and, and hopefully have a cup of tea with, with people there as well. So we're, and we've, we've, in, we've started to invite a few sort of great and the good of football. And we're hoping that one or two other sort of stars, perhaps from, from that era, and maybe some more recent uh, stars from the England teams might be, be willing to come along and, and join us at, the, uh, at that event. So yeah, it's exciting, and we're we're the whole thing hinges around can we raise seven hundred thousand pounds, which is a big ask at the moment. It's off to a start, so we've got some some money coming in, and it's very exciting for us to every time somebody donates, your mobile phone goes ping. So oh right, and it says seven or nineteen or. Uh, now there is know. there is an expiry date on it though, isn't there? So people do yes. need to be quick if they're yes. going to uh, to do that. What is that expiry date? Well, it runs out on the thirtieth of December. Right. Um, so we're up against it on time. Uh, the reason for that is that we've, in order to, to meet the deadline for the uh, 55th anniversary um, next July, we need five or six months to actually do this. It's quite a laborious, painstaking process. Each There are 180,000 frames that need to be colorized. So it's quite a long job. So yes, it's the 30th of December. The other headwinds that we've got, obviously, are Christmas, vaccine, <laughs> Brexit, Boris, etc., which um, is all you know, helpfully getting in the way. So uh, yes, there's, there's there's quite a bit of competition, I think, for people's eyeballs and money at this time of year. So unfortunately, we're uh, inevitably these sorts of things just take time to organise. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, I wish you all the very very best of luck on it. Just once again, all the the social medias and that. If if you'd just like to give those to us again. Yes. Yeah, so the, the the URL to go to is www.crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash full color six six. Um, and then on social media, we've got various sort of um, handles and so on, which yep. is which is final replay TV. But the thing about the crowdfund, which is quite neat, is that if it doesn't work, and there's always a chance it might not, uh, then people get all their money back in full. So you know, if you chip in your sixty-six quid and the thing doesn't work, you get your sixty-six quid back. And if you chip in a couple of grand, you get the couple of grand back. If, if it doesn't work, and yeah. obviously if it does, which we hope it does, then then thank you very much for your donations. Pledges, I think they call them pledges. Yeah. Well, great stuff. Let's let's stay in touch, and hopefully we can we can speak about it a little bit more next year. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Russell. Wish us luck. Thank you. Cheers. It's always great to speak with fellow England fans, as we have done in the past, all about their memories and experiences following our team. But as we've also discovered previously, we also have supporters from overseas. And I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Gaurav Singhvi. Hello there. Hi, Russell. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you. Yourself? Uh, Pretty good. Uh, I really enjoy your podcast and I'm excited to be on. Very kind. Very kind. Well, um, as I say, um, it's always great to speak with supporters and it's always great to hear from, from overseas supporters. Where are we speaking to you from? 
So I'm in uh, Los Angeles, California, where I think the weather's probably a little sunnier here than it is where you are. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, obviously it's coming into autumn. It's uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a, a damp and dreary one today. But uh, yeah, go on, go on. What's what's outside your window at the moment? I think it's about uh, 75, 80 degrees. It's pretty warm and hot outside all right okay let's let's (laughs) gloss over that (laughs) nice one well yeah i mean you you sent me a uh, sent me a really nice email which was uh which was great to read and thank you very much but as you say yeah yeah you're american and and you follow england how how has that come about right so um i followed soccer or football as you know it's called um i followed that pretty closely since they had the world cup here in 94 that's when i really got into it but I, i think uh for most of uh the next uh, several years, um, football was kind of second fiddle to American sports, basketball, American football, and baseball. I'd still follow, uh, especially during the big tournaments like the World Cup. Uh, I'd follow it pretty closely, but otherwise, I didn't really follow club club football or kind of European football. But then um, I'd say in the last five or seven years, we kind of started developing some business interests in the UK. Uh, so I started going there more more often. Since I was going to the UK, I took advantage of that and took several uh, European vacations as well. Um, I think I kind of just became more aware of things there. And I, I, at the same time, some friends as well got me into um, Premier League. So I started following about five years ago and I started playing fantasy Premier League. And yeah, I think definitely football has become my number one sport over all those others uh, over the last five, six years. And then by the time the World Cup in 2018 came around, um, I think you'll know the U.S. failed to qualify. Uh, they had a great shot. They really should have, but they weren't able to. It's kind of looking for a team to support. And uh, since I was very familiar with the Premier League and uh, since I was playing fantasy football, I started following England. I knew all the players. And I have to say, uh, during the World Cup, uh, I think England, um, you know, I don't know who works on it exactly, but their uh, social media game is very strong. So, um you know, I think they did a great job of making all of the players accessible from uh, from their camp in uh, near St. Petersburg. I think it was. I really enjoyed that the show. I don't know if you watched it, but it was called The Lions Den. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really like the host too, uh, Craig Mitch. I think he might not be everybody's cup of tea, but I thought he did a great job of um, kind of getting the supporters involved, allowing us into the inside into the background or into the camp. Kind of making the players more human, I guess. And uh, I was really surprised at how uh, humble the players were. I was surprised at how engaging they were. They seemed, uh, you know, just very excited to be there. I really enjoyed listening to Garrett Southgate's interviews as well. And then, that's how I, that's kind of how I got into it. Um, I followed their progress, and uh, and actually, I'd actually got to attend the World Cup myself. I wasn't able to attend an England game, but. On the way back from Russia, we stopped off in England for about a week. So I kind of got some of the caught some of the fever uh, yeah. during that summer. Oh, great one! And I mean, you mentioned about the the players there being given that sort of humanized touch from from the FA's social media pages. Is that something that perhaps is not so prevalent in in American sports? Do you feel like you know some of the the high profile American? basketball um american football players in a in the same way yeah i think it's kind of an odd one because um if you look during kind of the regular seasons actually it seems like the american players and coaches they have much more the media has much more access to them uh, whereas in the premier league for example it seems like they're pretty restrictive um in terms of uh 
the media availability they make they have for the coaches and the players. Um, so no, I think we do get a pretty decent amount of access to individual players and individual teams, but it just seems to me that maybe it was just a stage of just, uh, you know, an every four year kind of thing, the world cup, but it just seems to me that the, uh, the way England organized it, it just seemed a kind of a class above to, you know, I, I think Arsenal is probably my favorite team. Uh, and you know, I follow their social. <laughs> you're, you're a man after my own heart. Well done. You're saying all the right things. But, you know, I follow their social media. They do a good job, too, but I, I don't know what it is. It just seems like they just did an excellent job of presenting it. Um, and I think it's hard. I mean, it must not. I think Southgate was uh, it was really cool of them to allow that that much access because, I mean, it's not uh, you don't see that often. A 30 minute interview uh, kind of dedicated to one player. And um, like I said, I, I know he's been caught up in some controversy, but I really like the way that uh, Craig uh, did it. And I actually hope he can come back at some point. Uh, yeah, so I, I just, I don't know, there's just something about it. it was, I, I think it was almost as enjo- enjoyable and as engaging as the games themselves, themselves, to be honest. Well, hopefully when the, uh, if if and when the Euros uh, next come around, the uh, the England team will do a, a similar job. Now, I mean, you said that you you followed England from afar, but you actually put your money where your mouth is and you joined the England Supporters Club, haven't you? Right, right. So I, I did join the Supporters Club. Um, after the World Cup, I had a trip upcoming um, to uh, to Europe, and then I was going to stop by in uh, England for a few days. I think it was in September. So I joined the Supporters Club, and I was able to buy some uh, some tickets at Wembley against Spain. Um, I think that was... That might have been the first Nations League game. I think it was the first game after the World Cup that England played. So this this and, would have been uh, the one where we we lost, I think, two one there, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. There was a late uh, disallowed goal from uh, Danny Welbeck. I That's think. right. Uh, oh yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, it, it seemed like a very soft, <laughs> soft, soft call. But uh, yeah, so I uh, I, uh, I I wanted the experience of uh, going to Wembley and uh, seeing England there, and I have to say um, it was a delightful experience. Uh, the whole atmosphere, um, and I don't know, you can tell me if this is typical, but it seemed to me that the atmosphere might have been a little extra special than it normally is because I think everybody was still kind of off the high uh, coming off of England's success in the World Cup. So the stadium was quite pretty full, I think, and everybody seemed extremely excited uh, and engaged. But no, it was a great, great atmosphere, um, you know, catching the metro, the, the tube in London, and then taking it up to Wembley. Uh, you just get that feel when more and more uh, supporters and fans are join, joining you along the way yeah. and then walking up Wembley way. Um, and I got to say, like, even though I'm American, um, I had good conversations with a lot of the fans. Uh, they're very friendly and uh, very engaging. Um, and I, I thought it was the whole, the whole thing was a, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's, that's really good to hear that you've, you've been welcomed. Um, I'm, I mean, what's, um, how does Wembley compare to what what would be your local american football or or baseball team or whoever you may follow what what does it compare like right so i think probably the closest comparison i have would be um i went to college at a place called ucla and um you know over here um college american football is a pretty big thing Mm. um so ucla football they play at a place called the rose bowl which is a large stadium in pasadena california and um wasn't that where the World Cup final in '94 was held? Right, exactly, exactly. So it's uh, 
it's a multi-purpose stadium. It's mostly used for college football, but they can, um, they've had other, they've had, I think USA versus Mexico there a couple of times. And, uh, uh, on a funny note, actually Mexico is actually one of the biggest draws there. Um, they like to play friendlies, uh, over there cause there's a huge, um, ethnic, um, fan base here for them. But, yeah. um, yeah, so I think, um, I think the atmosphere is, is pretty similar. It's pretty festive in uh, both places. Um, the Rose Bowl is kind of a much older stadium, so the infrastructure is probably not as good as uh, Wembley's. And as difficult, it is pretty easy to get into we- uh, Wembley. It's a little harder to get out of Wembley, but the Rose Bowl, um, there's really no public transportation links. Uh, okay. So you've got to drive and then try to find a parking spot. You have to do a lot of walking. So I, I think in that respect, it's um, it's uh, probably pretty similar in terms of the inf- infrastructure. but. Um, I think that atmosphere at Wembley was, um, it was, it was great. And I think um, it's definitely comparable. Okay. And then you said you, you also came to the Bulgaria game in 2019 where, where you saw a few goals there. I think we, we won 4-0 there. <laughs> right. I think, uh, I think Harry Kane, I think he had a hat trick in that one, if I'm not mistaken. And I think Sterling scored also. Um, yeah, no, that was, uh, that was more of the first, and I got to say uh, the first game in Spain, um, it was in early September, but the weather was amazing. So that was... Uh, <laughs> that oh, we was can do good of... weather. On occasions, <laughs> we can do good weather. Yeah, that was a bonus. Uh, Bulgaria game uh, was a little, little bit cooler. It seemed just as full, though. I think, um, I think again, you know, people are probably pretty excited or um, about the, uh, the state of the team. It was just as full. I think the atmosphere was um, just as good as well, especially because England was playing so well. Yeah, I think uh, I like the concessions as well as well at the uh, stadium. Uh, I'm a vegetarian, so they had something called falafel and chips. Uh, okay, <laughs> very very good. Yeah, no, I, I think it was a, it was a great atmosphere that night as well. It is kind of hard getting out, uh, but I don't mind that because you have the opportunity to, to talk to a lot of people after the game. Uh, they're always buzzing after a big, uh, big victory like that. Yeah, I think they're always kind of curious about my story as well. So yeah. I don't mind telling them I kind of quite enjoy doing that. I mean, we're, we're bringing it right up to date. We're speaking shortly after the the recent international break where England played Wales, Belgium and Denmark. Uh, what what did you make of that from afar? Um yeah, so I think uh, the Wales game, uh, I, I think it was, it was very good that a lot of young players got to get involved and they looked pretty impressive. Since I follow Arsenal, I was happy to see Saka get a start in that one. Um, they looked very good. Um, Belgium, uh, it seems like there's kind of a lot of question marks right now about the formation that the team is using and yeah. whether or not certain players are being favored or selected over other players. But it seems to me that uh, Southgate has a pretty good long-term plan, and I think he's kind of building towards uh, something bigger. So I, I think they played uh, pretty well in Belgium. It was even closely contested um, match, but it seems like it seemed like England had the extra gear uh, uh, when when they needed it, and I think that was a that was a huge win. Uh, it was just kind of disappointing that they weren't able to follow that up in the next match because I, I think that's maybe where they're trying to get is to try to get to that next level uh, to kick onto that next level is you have to kind of be able to build upon um, your success um, and be more consistent. I know they did have some bad luck with the red card uh, with Maguire, but uh, you know, just unfortunate, you know, I'm not an expert when it comes to tactics, but I don't, I'm not sure if it would be, it's easy to switch systems back and forth that quickly and whether they could have gone to a more aggressive setup versus Denmark. 
who knows i think we've all got different different thoughts different ideas how it could uh how it should pan out but yeah that's that's what makes us football fans isn't it right right and uh yeah and i was actually i actually do have tickets uh to the euros next year um we have some tickets to the quarterfinal in Rome, uh, so I, I think England. Um, I think they're slated to be in that uh, in the in that match if they're able to uh, uh, get there. And then I have another set of tickets at Wembley, not involving England. I think this is for the round of sixteen at Wembley. So oh, okay. um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> well, I'm clear I... what. Yeah, if we'll make it or not. <laughs> well, I re- really hope for for all our sakes for that we are in a position where we're able to go to these games. Uh, but yeah, we'll just have to have to wait and see. Now, there was something that that you you put in on your email that I thought, wow, I'd really like to find out a little bit more about this because it's it's always interesting when supporters have been to a game that that I haven't been to uh, I'm not saying that I go to every game but obviously I try and get to as many as I can but but there was a game back in 2005 actually played in Chicago England against as well as would have been USA versus England uh, and you were there weren't you yeah I was uh, so this was in uh, 2005 uh, it was over we have a Memorial Day weekend. It's um, it's a three day weekend, or as you would call it, a bank holiday. Um, uh, okay. In uh, late May, I was in medical school at the time, uh, and my uh, my roommate or my flatmate, um, he was kind of much more into football than I was. But um, apparently, um, I think Eric Spangorn Erickson was a coach at the manager at the time, and um, apparently, I'm not exactly sure why, but there was an international window in June, and. Um, for some reason, he wanted to bring that a little bit earlier into late May. I think it was maybe to give the players more time off during the summer. And they were able to arrange this tour of the United States. And I think they were also going, going to conduct some kind of coaching clinics um, with some kids. But they arranged to play two matches. One was in Chicago against the U.S. team. And I think the other one was in Florida against Columbia. So my uh, my friend had heard about this uh, a couple months beforehand, um, and he asked me, and yeah, it was very exciting. So um, yeah, I was thrilled to go. I think at that point, you know, we were very hopeful. I mean, I think we wanted to see David Beckham play, and uh, even though we knew because the season was still going on for some, or it just ended for some of the teams, I think he was with Madrid at the time, uh, so we knew it was unlikely that he'd make it here for that game. But we still kind of held out hope. Um, that he would make it, but no, it was, it was a great day. It was another great atmosphere. Um, late May in Chicago, the weather is uh, very good. It was, I was at a place called soldier field, which is where the Chicago bears play. And I think, I think the stadium holds about 60,000 people. And I, I want to say it was about two thirds full uh, that day. There was, there were a good number of England fans uh, there. I, I believe I would have to say most of them were probably expats uh, living in the U.S., but I'm sure there was a fair number who uh, made the trip as well. I imagine there was a few that thought, right, yep, there's an idea. There's a chance <laughs> for a, a few days away. <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, it was a nice atmosphere. I think it was a pretty uh, congenial atmosphere as well because, the team, you know, it's kind of more of a, um, a friendly rivalry or, you know, maybe more of a a friendly thing since the, they're kind of in different classes when it comes to the football ability. Although I will have to say that the U.S. was kind of coming off a high because um, they had done quite well in uh, the O2 World Cup in Japan and South Korea. I think they made it to the quarterfinals and they were very close actually um, to making the semis actually. Um, it was a clo- it was, I think it was against Germany, a tough bot loss in the quarterfinals. So um, 
you know, we were all excited about the U.S. prospects, and I think it was a really good um, chance to kind of test ourselves. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I was, I was just looking back over the team for that game, um, and and just to just to refresh people's memories, they may think, oh, "I wonder who played in that game." But it was uh, David James in goal. There was Glenn Johnson. Ashley Cole started, although he he went off uh, in the second half. Michael Carrick, Wes Brown, Sol Campbell, Jermaine Genus. Kieran Richardson, Alan Smith, Andrew Johnson, and Joe Cole as well. There was a few subs came on. Zach Knight, Phil Neville, Jermaine Defoe, and Luke Young. Now, I'm going to test you here. Do you remember who scored for England? Yeah, no, actually, I, I do remember. You looked <laughs> it, was, it up, haven't you? <laughs> uh, I, I had to jog my memory, and I talked to my friend as well, but it kind of came back to me because... Uh, my friend, you know, he was a Manchester United fan at the time, but I think he even he didn't know much about this guy, uh, Kieran, Kieran Richardson. Uh, yeah, we had we didn't really know know much about him at all. And I think, and I actually remember um, we were on the south side of the stadium. So unfortunately, all three goals were scored um, on the north goal, so uh-huh. away from us. But I remember we had just barely settled in our seats, um, and I think he had scored right as we were sitting uh, sitting down. It was pretty amazing free kick that uh, Richardson uh, put in. And I think um, it was de- deflating for the U.S. supporters because, um, you know, you would think that with the weekend England side that, you know, we <laughs> they would have more of a chance. Uh, but it seemed like just from the very beginning, he was able to get that amazing free kick. And I think it was from about 20 yards out or so. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, Kieran Richardson, he got both of them. It was, in fact, his first game. It was his England debut. uh, And he only went on to make eight more or seven more England internationals, eight in total. So yeah, he kind of of came and went, um, Kieran Richardson. I'm not, I'm not quite sure where he is now or whether he's still playing, to be fair. But but what about the the US side? Who who played in that that side, do you remember? Yeah, so so I think I, I kind of did I did just want to jog my memory a little mm. bit. So um I think for the England side, I, I was kind of curious because I knew the World Cup, you know, the World Cup was the next year in Germany. So um like I said, it was a weekend team, but there were two uh, World Cups, two players who started the first World Cup uh, match in Germany. I think it was Joe Cole and Ashley Cole. Yeah. You know, I think David Beckham did end up joining um, the second game, but we did miss out on uh, Gerard and Lampard and uh, Ferdinand um, due to their club commitments. But the U.S. team was actually uh, quite strong. Um, I think um, Landon Donovan was there. Um, okay. Clint Dempsey was there, and I think Clint Dempsey was the one who uh, who scored the scored the goal. Um, I think Casey Keller was in goal. Brian McBride was there. So there's there's quite a um, quite. Was, I would say it's pretty much probably the strongest team that the U.S. Um, could have put out. And a lot of the players would end up uh, playing in England or had played in England. Yeah. I, I know for some reason it seems like Fulham is the the team of choice. <laughs> so so a lot of them uh, played for uh, Fulham. And my impression is that. From what I remember is that Richardson um, and England were pretty dominant in the first half. He scored both of, both of the goals in the first half, whereas I thought the U.S. team was a little bit better in the um, second half, and they put a lot of pressure on in the second half. Um, I think Dempsey scored with about 10 minutes to go, and I think there were a couple of times they were close to, close to an equalizer, but uh, they just they just they just couldn't get it, and they ended up two one. That that's good good one that I uh, I've been back and looked looked through the uh, the highlights as well so yeah it's one of those ones oh, that would have been a good one to go to there and I know that we uh, was it before 
I'm trying to think. It must have been before the 2014 World Cup. I think we uh, we had a tour in the States as well. That, And I believe one of the games was partially abandoned halfway through because of an electrical storm, I think, overhead. Yeah, I think I vaguely remember something. something yeah, so, someone will pull me up on that one. Either it's the <laughs> wrong date or, or it wasn't even in America. But, uh, but yeah, oh, no, that's, that's good, good, good memories there. Yeah, I think it's, it, is, it was something unique because uh, you don't see many things like that, especially with the Nations League now. So mm. they're trying to cut down on these type of friendlies. And, um, yeah, it, it was a very unique experience. And I, I'm, I'm really glad I got to go because, um, you know, a, a friendly in late May against the U.S., I, I don't know if that would be logistically possible in uh, this day and age. Yeah. Well, you say about um, American players coming over to England and, and maybe favouring Fulham. Um, I mean, it's obviously some England players have, have gone the other way. Obviously, there's, there's David Beckham at LA Galaxy. Ashley Cole has been over there. And, and I guess more recently, Wayne Rooney has been over in America. And, and there was the game where Wayne Rooney came back for England, which was against America a couple of years ago, wasn't it, at Wembley? Right, right. I think that was that was in 2018, I believe. Um, that was... I guess they were able to uh, shoehorn a friendly into the uh, nation le- nations league schedule, uh, and I think at that in that match, I did watch that match, and I think at that match, England was they were kind of at their uh, post uh, World Cup uh, peak, so they were they were pretty dominant in that match. Um, I think Christian Pulisic did play. Uh, that was before his move to uh, Chelsea, I believe he was still at Dortmund, um, and he seemed to have a couple sparks in him, but. Um, I think on that day, England was just uh, too good. And I, I think the U.S. team was still kind of reeling from uh, having not qualified for the World Cup that year. And um, they were with an interim coach and just trying various combinations of players. Yeah. So where where is U.S. soccer now? Where is it at at the moment? You know, I think it's a little difficult to say. Um, they hired a, a new uh, coach, uh, Greg Berhalter, um, uh, I think at the beginning of 2019. and um, He's done okay so far, um, but I think they haven't, you know, now this pandemic has really, uh, I, I don't think they haven't been, they've been unable to play international match since February, I believe. Mm. So uh, it's difficult to gauge, you know, I'm not sure why they didn't. Mexico played a friendly against the Netherlands in October in Europe, because I think that was the most logistically feasible way to get their team some time uh, I hear the U.S. team is trying to do that in November um, with the European-based players. So I believe they'll be playing Wales and uh, I think maybe Australia is, is what I heard. Um, I think the potential is there. Um, I was just I just heard uh, that this has been a record in terms of the number of U.S. players registered for the Champions League uh, this season. I think there was a, a 10 or 11 in all. So um, I think the potential is there. You know, we, there's obviously Pulisic and uh, Chelsea, but this guy named Serginio Dest, uh, he's had a move to Barcelona. There's a player named uh, West, uh, Weston McKinney who's had a move to Juventus. So I think the potential is there. And they are in a CONCACAF. The, that group should be pretty easy to qualify in. So yeah. the potential is there. We'll just have to see. Well, we shall wait and see. So, yeah, interesting. Always interesting to see uh, how things are, are seen from, from the States and, and how they do perform because – I mean, it's not always about how many players or potential of, or size of the country. It's is how they how those players can perform as a team. Yeah, yeah, we, we shall see. Watch and wait. Right. Well, Gaurav, thank you very much for uh, for sharing your 
sharing your experiences and, and your memories there from from those games and, and coming to Wembley. It's been been great to hear and really appreciate it. And yeah, let's uh, well ne- next time you're over, let's uh, let's say hello. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Russell, and uh, keep up the good work. I really enjoy the podcast. Uh, you do an amazing job. Yeah, you're, you're too kind. You're too kind. Thank you very much. And there we have it, another episode in the can, as they say. Thank you to Gaurav there, an interesting insight from across the pond. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Gaurav Singhvi, G-A-U-R-A-V-S-I-N-G-H-V-I. Don't forget, you can also follow the guys at Full Colour 66. They are at Final Replay TV. Oh, you can use the hashtag... Full Colour 66. And you'll also find the Crowdfunder page there. Thank you for listening. Always appreciated. Don't forget, you can follow the show on all the social media channels. Just search Three Lions Podcast or head to threelionspodcast.com. And if you're passing an iTunes review page, you know, a review is always welcome. It is Christmas, isn't it? Season of goodwill and all that. And speaking of which... The next episode is a look back over the year and I've also thrown in for you a Christmas quiz with all the bells and whistles. Christmas, New Year, last episode of the year and it's always a chance for me to play around with some sound effects. I hope you can join me for it. So until then, take care, stay safe and stay subscribed. Cheers. Cheers.